This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Hey, welcome back to church for the rest of us. Jimmy Scroggins here at our office place in West Palm Beach, downtown West Palm Beach. Leslie Bennett, my co-host, is here, as is Carly Seelman, our engineer, and Matthew Seymour, our videographer. We are on the line on Zoom with my good friend, Micah Friesen. Micah is a pastor at Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, a great church, an innovative church. And what I like about Micah, Leslie, is that he is a guy who's theologically deep and precise and yet methodologically innovative, aggressive, growth-oriented. And I love people like that because it's kind of a throwback. So he loves some traditional elements. Like he actually likes that his church has a steeple and stuff like I do. Mm. Okay. And yet he likes to rock it out too. So I love that about Micah. Yeah, and you've met Micah I, several times. Yeah, we've met Micah. You've been a podcast guest before, haven't you, Micah? Didn't That's we? right. Yeah, yeah sure so did. He's mm-hmm. a- repeat guest on Church for the Rest of Us. So we're super excited to have you today, especially since you reopened your church this past Sunday, June 7th, correct? We did. Yeah, Yeah, we sure did. We're still trying to figure it out, but we did. (laughs) Well, great. Well, that's what we want to talk about because we still haven't reopened at Family Church. We're going to hold off for a few more weeks, but we're interested in learning from people who have a similar kind of a situation in terms of their facilities, which you do, but also just a similar theological and kind of a orientation to the way that you're doing ministry. So Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you decided to open? I know you had a delay, you had a previous idea, then you changed your idea and then you, so I just want to talk about all that stuff for the next few minutes. Yeah, man, it has been. So I think this whole process, I don't know about you, Jimmy, and the rest of you, those of you who are leaders here at Family Church, but for us, we were 13 Sundays that mm-hmm. we didn't meet. So the last 13, 14 weeks, yeah. they've been some of the most excruciating in one sense, like the decision-making process is so crazy hard because there's, as you said, when we were off, you know, off air before we came on, Jimmy, there's no one to pick up the phone and call. Like I can't, <laughs> normally I would call you and say, okay, Jimmy, what, you know, or, or <laughs> yeah. on your staff Good and luck. say, walk me through this. In fact, Derek Simpson on your staff, he and I still talk every month or so, and we've been talking through this. And I mean, you're just trying to figure it out. You're, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard blindfolded and hope you know something hits the center. And so we could have come back. So where we are at is interesting. Our governor never said churches had to close in Tennessee, but our mayor did in Chattanooga. So we didn't have an option for a few months. And then kind of long story short, the governor and the, the county mayor overrode the city mayor. So all of a sudden now we could come back and we waited about five weeks after that, five or six weeks after that. Before we came back, we did not want to be the first ones out of the gate. We wanted to see how some others in our area did it and what the response was. We're watching you know, the numbers with the health department every day. I've got this crazy, stupid spreadsheet where I track all these numbers every day. And, <laughs> and uh, nerd, yeah, nerd. I'm a huge nerd. I'm telling you, <laughs> mega nerd. This is a little better than your dirty math. Yeah, that's right. That's the difference between me and you. <laughs> Spreadsheets versus dirty math on a napkin. Well, most of mine is dirty math. You can ask our executive pastor. He gets mad at me all the time. But anyway, so I mean, but we're trying to track all this. And so we decided to come back. Part of our reasoning was, you know, theologically, ecclesiologically, we believe that if we can come back, we should, right? So don't forsake the regular assembling of yourselves together kind of was wearing on us. And so we weren't going to come back irresponsibly, but we felt like the first moment we felt like we were capable of coming back, theologically, we should come back. 
And so then trying to marry that with wisdom, how do we come back in a way, do we all wear masks? Do we not? Do we sing or do we not? I mean, we had members telling us everyone should wear a mask. We had members saying no one should wear a mask. We had people saying everyone should sing. I got a phone call from one of our members yesterday who said we should not sing any songs in our services at all. You know, so we're trying to weigh all of that. So we put together a plan. We had to increase the number of services that we offered by quite a large amount, actually. And then because our rooms were cut down so small. And we're like you all, we're multi-campus with live preaching in every venue on campus. And so that meant that we had to ramp up the number of people who are preaching. Mm-hmm. So we doubled the number of people preaching every weekend wow. in order to pull this That's off. big. And it was big, but we've been building a pipeline for a year and a half, two years, well, longer than that, really. And so we had these folks ready in the wings and it's gone really well so far. So, I mean, we can talk specifics in a minute, but the process was excruciatingly difficult. And even I told our staff last week, I wasn't scared, but I was nervous. I mean, just you make all the best decisions you can, and then you're still worried. What happens if we gather and people, you know, we get five people that have COVID. Yeah, it's almost like replanting your church, isn't it? It really is. Thankfully, we've got a better budget than when we, plant, you know, when we would have yeah, planted most church. church but I mean, it is right. kind of like that. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, yeah. But it's that kind of a feel like you don't know if anyone's going to show up. You don't know if you're and if they doing do it the right up, way, are they going to be sick and we don't know it? You know, I mean, there's just so many variables that are. And one of the things we recognize ultimately is we cannot eliminate all risk, right? We understand that there's no way to eliminate all risk. So the question we had to ask is, how do we mitigate risk most effectively? And so once we got to a point where we felt like we could put a plan in place that greatly mitigated risk, and even if someone had COVID or something like that, we would have the risk mitigated, then we felt like that's when we could come back. And so, for instance, one of the things for us is we have capped the number of people in our services. I think our largest service, we've capped it at 175 people. And what uh, size room is now. that? What's your What would be your normal capacity? Uh, so in that room, it's the same. We've talked about this before. Right. Our family church and Brainerd have the exact same sanctuary, right. the same architect. Yeah. So it's that 800 and some seats or whatever it is that we can do in there. And we've got 175. We close the balcony down. We have entrances every other. We've still got pews in there, not chairs. So do we. So we've got every other pew is taped off on one side and we've got tape down the middle of every pew. So you can walk in every other pew and go halfway. And anyway, it's a complicated process. But one of our arguments there was, number one, we want to cap the number of people in the room so we can maintain social distancing. But we also wanted to be able to manage contact tracing. If someone were to come, you know, if we were to recognize, hey, somebody's got COVID, we wanted to be able to to manage that. And so we require registration for every person in the service. And if they didn't pre-register and they show up unannounced, then we still require them to register at the door before we let them go in the room, only because we want to know every person that's there. Should something happen, we need to be able to contact people. And so I actually think this is a really unique opportunity for some smaller churches to, to kind of be able to play around with multiple services in a way that they haven't played around before and see if maybe it creates some missional opportunities. We've added a service at a new venue that we've been wanting to add for a long time. And we're, we started a core group meeting this week for the launch of a new campus. We thought both of those were really cool missional opportunities that this allowed us to play around in some ways that we wouldn't have been able to easily do otherwise. Yeah. So talk about that for a minute. Walk me through what your pre-COVID service schedule looked like on a weekend. So we had three campuses and on our biggest campus, what we call our Chattanooga campus, we had two venues and we had four services between those two venues on one of our campuses, Spanish speaking only campus. We have one service there And then our other campus, our North Georgia campus, we had two services there. So we had seven services total every weekend, plus some small language gatherings, Arabic and Cambodian. 
But in terms of our services, we had seven right. full services, three campuses, and then the two venues. So now I think we had 12 services this weekend, and we actually ended up cutting a couple of services last minute. We probably came back with too many services, to be honest with you. And so we ended up with 12 services this weekend, three campuses. But then on our Chattanooga campus, we added a third venue for the launch of will ultimately be the launch of our downtown campus. So our model is when we're launching a campus, we give them three months minimum as an incubator stage on our Chattanooga campus. Good. And then we send the core team out to launch. So they're they're going to get more than three months because we're not going to be ready to launch the campus in August. It's a downtown campus. It'll probably be the first of the year. But we figured let's go ahead and just start them worshiping now. There's no reason why they can't start worshiping together. So we went from seven services to 12 services. And we went from one to three preachers to six preachers every weekend because we have a total of six venues, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six venues now. And so we added the incubator for the downtown campus. And then we also, at our Spanish-speaking service, we've been wanting to add an English-speaking service for a while while allowing the Spanish service to be the priority. And so this gave us the opportunity to launch it. And we just, you know, we're using some folks on already on staff. So it didn't cost us a dime to add this service. We already had people on staff and we needed more preachers. And we weren't worried about a huge crowd. I think we had 25 people there this past Sunday at that first English speaking service. But it allowed us to try and see if we could get something started at a time when people have more patience and grace than they've had. You know, maybe so I really like that. So we've talked a little bit about this on our team. So you took this opportunity to start some things. Did you take the opportunity to finish any things or not start doing something back up when you reopened? Well, we haven't started anything back up right now other than worship services. But I do think there are some things that we're going to have to figure out. I mean, somebody asked me this morning, we have a Wednesday night dinner that we've done for years and years and years. I mean, I can't foresee that coming back for quite a long time, if ever, to be honest with you at this point. I mean, I, our insurance, our person who handles risk management and insurance for the church is also a member. And I was talking to her last night and, and she said, Micah, I just don't see how we can even serve coffee right now. I, mean, hmm. I don't think we can do anything food or drink related right now without increasing our liability. And so, you know, that's gone away. We're actually in the process. We met with a group of folks last night to rethink student ministry and kids ministry. We think it'll likely be end of summer, early fall, around the time schools go back before we really come back live with significant kids ministry, student ministry emphasis. And so right now we think is probably the time when we have more grace. And because of our increased schedule, as long as we have social distancing, we don't know how we do life groups for students and kids on Sunday morning because our services all are happening at different times and overlapping each other. So we can't do a life group hour, you know, like we've done in the past. There's mm -hmm. just no way to do that. So we're trying to reframe and, and rebuild kids ministry and student ministry at the same time. So when we launch and, and we just, our thought is we've never had a better opportunity to be creative. And again, people are patient and gracious right now in a way that they've not been in the past. All right. So that's one of the ways that it sounds to me like you've been able to come up with all these worship leaders and preachers is because everybody who would be doing age group ministry, small group ministry, you're only doing these services. So it's all hands right. on deck doing this. That's absolutely. Our kids director is managing all the volunteers for all six venues right now. Our student pastor is one of the six preachers who's preaching, you know, and so our associate discipleship director and our discipleship pastor are both preaching every week. And so that allows us the flexibility to be able to do some of those things. We're not going to be able to continue exactly like we're doing it now long term unless we shuffle staff. But, you know, we've entered into it with the idea that we're going to just do this for the time being. I was on a Zoom call with our governor three weeks ago. He did this call with sort of a group of pastors from across the state. And he said, 
look, we're not going to tell you what your capacity should be in your churches, but you should expect social distancing until a vaccine is readily available. So we're operating off the assumption that we're going to be in socially distanced services through the end of the year at a minimum. And so, you know, we're talking seven months, six, seven months of this type of activity. So we're just assuming that roles are going to be very different from now through the end of the year. And, and it really is an all hands on deck sort of approach like Jimmy, you, you just mentioned. All right. So what are you doing about broadcast and, you know, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So we are not doing any live stream on Sunday morning. For one, our video people, audio people, we've asked them to do so. I mean, probably like you all, we've massively increased their workload. Our guys are just sitting around eating bonbons, right, Matthew and Carly? I mean, they still have fun. Not doing jack. I mean, ours are just, it's been Ours are sitting here while they're filming, like trying not to fall asleep. (laughs) Because they haven't had any time off. Yeah. Well, I mean, so ours have. And so one of the things we recognized is that Sundays could become day off for these guys because they normally work doing live stream and all that stuff. We've been pre-recording our services in advance, and we thought when we come back, we don't want to switch from a pre-recorded service to a live stream service because, number one, these guys are already killing themselves during the week. We don't want to add hours on Sunday, which they've not had over the last 13 weeks. We want to save that space for them. And secondly, I don't want to live stream a mostly empty auditorium with a smaller number of musicians because as we've come back, our services are far simpler than what they were when we Yeah, let's talk about that. Way simple. What are you doing to make it more simple? So let me clarify the live stream web stuff. And so basically what we're arguing is that we're going to do a really well done video service every week until all the social distancing stuff is gone. So that's our our approach. Okay, Okay. So the simple stuff. So we have two styles of worship at Brainerd. Our historic traditional sanctuary is choir, orchestra. I wear a bow tie and a suit and, you know, and all of that in there. And then all of our other services, venues and campuses, it's very similar to family church, pretty modern, you know, guitars and haze and all, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we don't have almost any of that now when we've come back. No choir, no orchestra. We have a rhythm section in the sanctuary. So there's probably what would normally happen in the sanctuary is we would have between choir, orchestra, worship team, the whole nine yards, we would have 100 to 115 people on the platform. And we probably have now, I think we had five people on the platform on Sunday. With our more modern venues, we would normally have eight people on a platform, you know, a full band, guitars, drums, violin, cello, all this, you know, crazy stuff. We're now looking at two to three people on the platform when they do it. And part of it is because we had to spread our musicians across venues. I mean, we're using paid worship leaders. We're using volunteer worship leaders. It really is all hands on deck. And our services have been trimmed down. They're 55 minutes or less, as long as the pastors don't. Hard on you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we've been accustomed to this. We've been trying to do our video services at 50, 55 minutes or less. That's our goal. Our logic there is Netflix is the model. If Netflix can pull off 45 to 50 minute shows, we think that's our if people are watching online, that's probably our sweet spot. And as we've come back, we're not doing kids ministry or children's ministry. So we've welcomed all the kids into the, the venues. But we've also said, if we're going to do that, we can't do hour and 20 minute services. We've got to really work to keep this shorter for mom and dad. And so our sermons, we're trying to hit 28 minute sermons, to be honest with you, is what we're shooting for right now. And I've been really surprised at how much we've been able to get in in 28 minutes. And I think it's been really effective. But we've also stripped elements out of our services we're not passing the plate in the offering. That saves a lot of time. We are going to do communion this coming Sunday, but the way we're doing it is we're doing the individually wrapped cups and you know and bread, mm-hmm. and they're going to be on tables in the lobby. Every person, when they register, will grab their bread and juice and go in the venue. So there's no time for everybody to get up and go get the elements or to have it passed, which is the way we typically do it. One of those two options is we 
way we typically do it. So it cuts down. We don't have special music. You know, we don't, we've cut down on the songs. We're doing more responsive reading because we're still struggling with when you sing, you know, their argument is that you project more and it creates risk. And so we've asked our worship guys to cut down the singing a little bit. So we're doing two or three songs and we're doing some responsive readings or reading scripture corporately, that sort of stuff together and trying to simplify the service that way. Now, what are you doing about masks? So we are requiring all of our workers, so volunteers and staff member, to wear masks unless they're on the platform. But they, we ask them to have their masks on before they go up and after they come down. And it's voluntary for the rest of the congregation. But we do have a 65 plus or vulnerable only service. Okay. And we did two of them. One of them we had about 60 people in. The other one we had six. And so we cut the smaller of the two this past <laughs> week and have gone to just one service. Yeah. So we have one of those. And the other thing that we've, I could be wrong. Nobody knows what they're doing with all this stuff, y'all. So let's just be honest about that. We think our services are going to slowly increase in numbers over the next few mm-hmm. weeks. And so we did trim a few of those services this week with the belief that we're going to have to add them back in the next four to six weeks, something like that. All right. I'm also interested, Leslie, that so they did that. We've talked about doing, you know, high risk kind of a service, mm-hmm. but they only had 10% of their attendance in there. Yeah. So yeah, I'm right. I'm a little surprised by that. So it even sounds to me like, because you had to have people over 65 and all those other services. All of them. And I'll tell you, the service that had six people, it was at our North Georgia campus, all six told the pastor, we'll be going to the bigger service next week. Yeah. And so that's when we said, okay, well, we can just eliminate that service. And so they all have the option of coming to the Chattanooga campus if they want to for the 65 plus service. But yeah, we've had a really interesting response. I mean, we're a pretty conservative area. We've had a very split response. We've got a number of our older folks who have said, I'm ready to be there. I don't care. I'm going to be in church. And then we've had a large number of them say, I'm just not coming back for a while. And we did a pretty big survey with the congregation about four or five weeks ago to just kind of gauge the temperature. And that was one of the things that helped us frame out how we're going to come back. And I'll tell you this, we had 60% of our church say we'll be back day one and 85% say we'll be back within a few weeks. And we saw half of that on Mm. week one. Oh, that's Half of those who said they would come back actually did. Yeah, because we just did a very similar survey and a lot of churches have been doing that. It sounds like you're obviously about five to six weeks ahead of us. We had very similar results on our survey. Yeah. And the other thing that we've talked about is, okay, when someone fills out a survey and says, yeah, I want to come back as soon as you reopen, but you realize that before COVID, most of these people are coming to church twice a month. That's true. That's right. So, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, it's, well, not, it's not Easter. So, you know. The other thing is when we ask them, hey, if we open back, are you coming back week one? They're, I think the, just the assumption for most people in their minds are, well, yeah, I'm going to come back if I get to go back to my church the way it was. And they're coming back to a simple service with no life groups and no kids ministry. And I'll tell you that I think is the biggest issue. We had almost no families with children attend week one. I mean, almost none. It was all folks with teenagers, folks who are single or older adults. That Did was you our try attendance. to do anything? Because we've seen other churches, you know, encourage your kids to bring your device and they can watch something. Yes. Did you do all of that? And still they didn't We come. did. Mm-hmm. And we provided online kits for parents to download, coloring pages, Bible studies. We provided all that stuff. We did multiple videos. So our kids ministry director did a kids ministry video for parents. Here's how to prepare your kids for worship. Here's what they can do while they're in worship. And we just did not have parents. I mean, our own staff said, I'm going to stay at home with my kids. I can watch it on TV and my kid can run around and nobody's going to worry about them running around naked, you know, screaming (laughs) as they run through the living room. (laughs) Jimmy's kids have never done that before, but you know, for the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it definitely, there's a lot, there's a lot to think about as you try to pull this together. All right. So having walked through the process of 
figuring out what you're going to do, articulating your plan, executing your plan. If you were talking to somebody who hasn't opened yet, like, I don't know, your friends at family church, (laughs) what would you say? Hey, listen, man, here's what we overcooked this. We didn't pay enough attention to that. Okay. So I think we probably let out too quickly with guidelines for what back to service would look like. We let out six weeks ago with some Uh, guidelines. That was a really dumb idea because we had to go back and change some of those. And in fact, we got a little bit, not a lot, but we got a little bit of pushback where people said, Hey, you know, you said this was going to happen. And now this happened. And I said, well, look, I mean, we're the president's own council is changing their mind every 72 hours. I mean, we've been doing some leaving over a six week period, you know? And so, but I think that's when you say something, people expect it to be a reality. And the truth is right now, things are changing so rapidly. Don't lead out too far in advance. You know, a week or so in advance is probably, I think, enough time for you to get the information out to people. So I think we probably overcooked that a little bit. I don't think it's possible. I think one of the things we did well, but we need to do even more is over communicate. Mm. So we, we created a bunch of videos. Like we even did our communications team did a walkthrough video. Here's what it's going to look like when you come back to church. Here's the registration desk. Here's what the services, here's what the venue looks like. Here's how you're going to be directed to a seat. Here's how you know, here's lines on the floor to show you where to walk and all that stuff. I mean, we literally, here are the parking lots we need you to park in. I mean, we walked through all of that. We did that for kids as well. We sent emails, we sent paper letters to our folks who we don't think are on email that much. We did a ton of social media updates. We did blog posts and I still am not sure we communicated enough to our people. And so I think over communicating, if I could stress anything, that would be it. I also think when you think about your guidelines to come back, I'd recommend being a little bit more conservative than what the majority of your congregation probably wants. I think you probably as a church, we're entrusted with people's hearts, lives and experiences. And I think you are probably better off to be maybe a little bit more conservative in your guidelines and expectations than if you were less conservative and you increased your level of risk. And so I would say, you know, and this is a struggle. I mean, this was tricky. Our staff does not like wearing masks at all. I mean, I hate it wearing a mask on Sunday. I mean, I, I told, I probably told eight people that at the gates of hell, Satan is standing there handing out masks to people as they walk in, you know, it's hot here, take one, you know? And so, I mean, I just, I'm not a fan of it, but we felt like we wanted people to walk in. I'm convinced trust is going to be a major compelling reason why people attend church over the next six to 12 months. And if they can see that they trust you, that you're taking seriously their health, then that's going to compel them not only to return, but to invite other people. My guess is just be a little more conservative than maybe what you think ought to happen. And the other thing I would say, and I don't know that most are thinking through this. We talked about this earlier. Think through growth opportunities. How can this give you freedom to really take advantage of an opportunity to expand your influence? We were shocked. I'll tell you the thing that shocked me more than anything else about our first opening Sunday I would guess 10% of our attendants were first-time visitors. Hmm. Somewhere between 5 to 10% of our attendants were first-time visitors. They had been watching over the last 13 weeks from home, and they said they liked the worship or the preaching or whatever the case might be. They thought this was really well done, and they showed up and wanted to be a part. I mean, I can't – I was amazed. Almost every service, I saw people who had never been there before, and it was easy to tell who was who. <laughs> they were wandering <laughs> – you know, there's so few people, and they're wandering around trying to figure out where things are. Even um, with their mask on, That was a on, real big surprise. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. right, But it really was a big surprise to us. Well, I think this has been an extremely helpful conversation. Now, you put out a document where you kind of just chronicled your own experience. Where can people find that? 
Yeah, they can just go to micafreeze.com, and my name is spelled really oddly. It's Micah like the minor prophet, M-I-C-A-H. Freeze is spelled like French fries, F-R-I-E-S, micafreeze.com. And then click on blog, and it's the very first, should be right now, I blog like once every 18 months. So it's okay. like, it's the first blog. <laughs> but you, that's but you also there. have a book out. Yeah, just had a new book come out in January. Actually, interestingly enough, the new book wrote with Jeremy Maxfield called Leveling the Church built on Ephesians chapter four, how to level the playing field in your church and equip the whole body to serve together. It couldn't be more timely, I don't think, <laughs> okay. than there right you before the, you know. That's what you should have said. You know, the one thing we didn't do <laughs> is encourage That's enough right. people to read that book. All right. So what about, and then you also have a podcast, EST. I do. Yeah. The Established Church Podcast, myself, Sam Rayner, who is in Bradenton, Southwest Florida, not horribly far from you guys. And then Josh King, who's at Second Baptist Conway, Arkansas. And we like to say it's a podcast for established church leaders, by established church leaders. And so we recognized, kind of like you, that there was a very, very limited number of resources available for those who are in old established churches. And so we've done this now for two or three years, and we drop a podcast every Tuesday trying to just talk through very practical things on you know how to engage as a church leader in the established church. Yeah, well, this has been fantastic, Micah. Thanks for being willing to be a little bit vulnerable and kind of peel back the curtain, let us see what it's like for a really significant church who has thoughtfully reopened and we're glad and we're cheering for you and our friends at Brainerd and really, really appreciate you being on with us today. No, it's our privilege. I i don't know how many people I've told. Family Church is the church we look to when it comes to how we function as a church. So we're incredibly thankful. For well, you're very kind, and that's incredibly sad. All of you who've been listening, we're, <laughs> we're uh, grateful that you're listening, and I uh, hope you'll come back. We're going to continue these conversations about what it's like in the corona apocalypse to lead a church. So thanks again. This has been Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.